Matthew 21, verse 23 to 27. When he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I will ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, Well, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this reading of your word. We thank you for your preserving it for us. And Lord, we thank you in advance for applying it to our hearts this morning. Uh, Lord, we are all aware that if we're going to benefit from this reading and benefit from this study of your word, that we require the work of your Holy Spirit in our hearts. And it is in that posture, Lord, that we come before you this morning. And it is in that posture, Lord, that we look to you uh, to teach us and to change us by way of your word. In Jesus' precious name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. I thought about making a joke and saying, well, I think we're going to look at the uh, lesson of the fig tree one more week, but I'm not sure anybody would laugh. I see a couple of you would laugh. Uh, we did spend a lot of time on the fig tree. Uh, three, three weeks on the fig tree. <laughs> well, this week we move on. I think they were worthwhile weeks. It's a powerful object lesson that Jesus gives us. And this week we move on uh, to take up another subject. But though we take up another subject this morning, it's, it's, it's directly relevant to what we're studying. In fact, um, as we've gone through uh, our study in Matthew, I've tried to point out different connections of how these stories and uh, some of these narratives are all connected to one another. And and what Matthew is up to as he is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What's going on? Why are these stories in the order that they're in? Why are these things taking place the way that they're taking place? And this morning, we're going to see that, uh, that the, the subject of authority is, uh, as I've said before, it's been a little while, but as I've said before, the subject of authority is a major theme through uh, the Gospel of Matthew. And this morning, I want to show uh, some of the connectivity of that. Um, in this message this morning, I'm going to go think about things just a little bit differently. Instead of really spending some time explaining the text and then announcing an outline and uh, treating the outline from there, what I would like to do is really kind of look at it more inductively where we're kind of explaining as we go along. And hopefully we will see these points together uh, when we get in uh, the proper place. But just a warning. Um, this text reveals things about ourselves that can be quite uncomfortable, actually. Um, trust me, I mean, when, when you're studying these texts and preparing for uh, Bible studies and preparing for sermons, I mean, you, you do spend a fair amount of time being a little bit uncomfortable. Um, that's, that's important that we don't skip that process. Uh, sometimes uh, uh, we have to have some uncomfort before we can actually have healing in our lives. You know, if... Um, uh, if a person, and, and there are a lot of persons who are, people who are running around who are terminally ill and they don't even know it. 
Um, you don't seek a cure when you're not aware that you're sick. Uh, but once the doctor announces to you that you're terminally ill, then the only thing you concern yourself with uh, is the cure uh, for, that, uh, for that illness. And texts like this, they do show us just how sick our souls are. Uh, but the good news is, they also show us that Jesus is the cure. And it is in the midst of this bankruptcy where God reveals His grace to us. Uh, the first thing that we see here uh, this morning, uh, Jesus enters the temple. We're told in verse 23 that the chief priests and the elders of the people uh, come up to Him while He's teaching. Uh, Mark and Luke add another cast of characters to the list of antagonists that confront Jesus. They say that the scribes uh, were also present. And given this list and given the situation that's here, I think we have uh, every reason to believe that this was probably a delegation that was sent uh, from the Sanhedrin, which the Sanhedrin, some of you will know, is, was kind of like the Jewish Supreme Court, if you will. Uh, they were the authorities. And in verse 23, they confront Jesus and they say, by what authority are you doing these things? Uh, who gave you this authority? And the point I want to make at the start is what we have here is a clash of authority. Uh, these two authorities are clashing with one another. Remember the other day when Jesus went into the temple and he overturned the money tables and ran all the scoundrels out of the temple courts? Uh, and then began to heal the blind and the lame and those who came to him. Um, well, he's back in the temple and he's teaching and the authorities uh, don't really like that very much. They don't like this intrusion uh, on the temple courts. They are the authorities. What right uh, does uh, Jesus have to come in here and do these things and to say these things so they confront him? Who gave you this authority? In other words, what gives you the right to come in here and do this. And I think that as we start to see this clash of authority here, and we start to see the, conf the confrontation here, uh, that in many ways it starts to sound a little bit familiar uh, to us, uh, if we're really honest. Um, for, especially for those of us who came to Saving Faith in adulthood. Uh, perhaps we can remember a time where we might have said, at the suggestion that Jesus is Lord, we might have said to ourselves, who gives you the right to interfere with my life? Uh, what gives you the right to tell me how to live? Uh, this is my life. I'm going to run it my way. Uh, and how many times have you heard that kind of thing? How many times maybe have you said that kind of thing? Maybe not in those so many words. But as the gospel of Christ comes to the unbelieving heart, there's a clash of authority, isn't there? Uh, for sure there's a clash of authority. And even after we become believers, there are still areas in our hearts that remain hostile to biblical change. Uh, we're often quite sluggish to, to change, aren't we? Uh, we still have these bastions, these strongholds in our hearts where there is this clash of authority, if you will. Um, what is scary is the chief priests and scribes and elders are actually sitting in judgment over Jesus. It's pretty easy to see that, isn't it? I mean, they have their minds made up. Jesus has no business being in here doing these things. And we know from the text that we have studied that 
their minds are made up. They're going to terminate Jesus. They're just looking for the right time, and, and their minds are made up. They're sitting in judgment over Christ. And in sitting in judgment over Christ, they're actually sitting in judgment over God, aren't they? That's really scary. But what's even scarier is that when we refuse to submit to Christ's authority, we commit the same sin. We do the same thing. The power struggle that's going on in the temple is an image. It's a mirror image, if you will, of the power struggle that goes on in our hearts. We got our minds made up that there's a certain way that we're supposed to do things. Sometimes we're a little bit stubborn to change, aren't we? In our natural state, we do not want Jesus interfering with our lives. And uh, we may be happy to add Him on to our lives. It's so commonly done. We, we kind of add Jesus to what we've got going on. We kind of add Him like an appendix at the back of a book somewhere. And we can, we can pick up the language, you know, the Jesus language. And we can add that to our lives. But when it comes to surrendering our hearts to His authority, oftentimes that's, there's quite a battle raging in our hearts. Uh, quite a battle there. So, and this kind of leads to my next point here. Notice how Jesus responds to the confrontation. In Matthew 21, verses 24 to 25, Jesus answers them. He says, I'll ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? Now, we know from the text, the chief priests, the elders, they discuss it among themselves. And they say, if we say from heaven, he'll say to us, why then did you not believe him? Verse 26, if we say from man, uh, we're afraid of the crowd, for they hold that John was a prophet. Now, what we see here is they, they don't seem to care about the truth. I mean, they, they care about silencing Jesus. They care about saving faith, saving face. Uh, it's like they're playing chess with Jesus. If we make this move, then he's going to do this. If we make this move, then they're going to do this. It's like looking at a chessboard. You know, we can hear them say, well, if we say John's ministerial authority was from heaven, then Jesus is going to say, why didn't you believe him? And we can hear them say, well, if we say that John's ministerial authority was from man, well, then the people will stone us. Uh, that's what Luke tells us in his account. They were worried about being stoned because the people believed John to be a prophet. They believed rightly. And to suggest John wasn't a prophet would have been blasphemous. Uh, they, they could have found themselves getting uh, put to death by way of stoning. Uh, but we, we do not hear a discussion about what is true. Uh, again, this can sound hauntingly familiar. I mean... Uh, as unbelievers, we didn't seek the truth and as much as we sought justification to do our will, to do our own will. You know, this is my life. I'm going to do it my way, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we are very masterful at this. I mean, there's, there's really practically no wrong that we can't quickly justify. Um, we're so masterful, masterful at this. And believing that we're in charge is, is open rebellion against the one who is in charge. You know, undoubtedly, I mean, as we look at our, our culture, uh, it's no secret that we're a really anxious culture. And undoubtedly, I'm not going to suggest this is the, 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 the only cause of, 
anxiety in our culture, but I have to think that it's one of the leading causes uh, is that uh, we believe and we want to believe that we're in charge. Uh, when we afford so little room in our lives for God, or when we afford no room in our lives for God, well then, uh, who, who's going to be in charge of our lives? Um, we say to ourselves, well, I've got to be in charge of my life. If I'm not in charge of my life, then who's going to be in charge of my life? And what is the result of this? Uh, the result of this is intense strain, intense psychological, intense spiritual, and intense emotional strain. And the symptom of that strain is anxiety. Anxiety is merely the symptom of that strain. We were never designed to bear that kind of load. Uh, it, it kills us. It absolutely kills us. And as we study the, the actions of these wicked leaders, we're learning many hard truths about ourselves. I mean, we have to ask ourselves, do we care about the truth uh, or do we care about who's in charge? Especially as we think about some of those areas of our lives, I think we probably could all go around the room and say, yeah, you know, there's this little area in my life over here where, uh, you know, I, I know I probably should be doing this, this, and this, but um, yeah, I just, yeah, you know, I, and, and then answer with said excuse here or said excuse there. Uh, there's still plenty of areas in our lives where we have that power struggle taking place in our hearts, the very power struggle that we see here in the temple. And in those cases, while that power struggle is going on, we have to ask ourselves, do we care about what's true or do we care about justifying our actions? We can see so many uh, aspects of ourselves as we see this power struggle that's taking place here. But the truth is Jesus is in charge. Uh, Christ is in charge. That's one of the major themes in, the, in, the, in, in Matthew's Gospel. And I promised at the introduction I would make some connections for you. Let's just think about the first chapter of Matthew. You know, it's that genealogy with all those strange names in it. You know, what are we to make of that? What's Matthew's point in that? He wants us to see that Jesus is the son of David, the son of Abraham. Uh, there's two very important points there. By being the son of David, Jesus is the promised king. God promised David that one of his sons would sit on his throne and rule forever. Uh, Psalm 2, uh, 2 Samuel 7 uh, is in view there. But God also promised Abraham that through him all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. Uh, so we see that Jesus is the promised one, the promised Christ. He is the one who would come with absolute authority. Chapter 2, wise men come from the east. They pay homage to him who has been born king of the Jews. Chapter 3, John the Baptist begins to, to, to teach and to preach and to baptize. And he, he says that I baptize with water, but he who comes after me, who is mightier than I, he will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Throughout the Gospels, we hear people who heard Jesus preach and teach say, he doesn't preach like any of our teachers. He preaches as one who has authority. Chapter 8, remember the story of the centurion. His servant is ill. The centurion has heard about Jesus. He believes in Jesus. He sends for Jesus to get his uh, servant healed. And Jesus uh, uh, answers his request and begins to make his way towards the centurion's house. And when the centurion finds out that Jesus is headed towards his house, he's like, whoa, whoa, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. I, I'm a man 
I'm a man who's also under authority. I say to one, do this, and he does it. I say to another, do this, and he does it. Lord, you just give the word, and I know that my servant will be healed. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He gives the word, and he doesn't even go to see this servant. He gives the word, and the man is healed instantly. In chapter 9, Jesus shows his authority to forgive sins. In chapter 10, he demonstrates his authority over the demonic realm and many other places. But in chapter 10, he, gives, uh, he even gives that authority to his disciples so that they have authority over the demonic realm. Um, uh, he shows his authority over the raging sea, healing all kinds of diseases and infirmities. And Matthew's gospel is going to end with these famous words where Jesus says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. This is just a few of the places. That's not an exhaustive list, but we can see from this list that one of the major themes running through Matthew's gospel is that Jesus is in absolute authority. And that message is for all who care about the truth. This is the truth. But the fact that Jesus is in charge I mean, as unbelievers, the fact that Jesus is in charge is repugnant to us. We don't like that. But that's not the case with us this morning, is it? When, when we receive God's heartwarming grace, what happens to us? Many things happen to us. But one of the things that happens to us is we find it so wonderful that Jesus is in charge. I mean, isn't it wonderful that Jesus is in charge? I wonder if we ever take time to meditate on that. Jesus is in charge. You know, a couple of weeks ago I was speaking about faith and I spent some time talking about saving faith. And I said that faith is limited to the ability of its object. You know, if... Uh, for instance, if our faith is in ourselves, then our faith is only as good as our particular abilities. I mean, we can have faith in ourselves to a certain degree, uh, but the problem is, I mean, if we have faith in ourselves to do something that we're incapable of doing, then that's misguided and foolish, is it not? But if our faith is in Christ, His authority is unlimited. I mean, think about it. Think that through for a moment. As our faith is put in Christ, we think about our problems. All of us have problems. All of us are going to have problems in this life. But if our faith is in Christ, He has the authority to deal with every problem that we have. We think about our needs. I mean, uh, same thing is true of that. Jesus has the authority to deal with every need in our life. As we think about uh, sensitive issues, you know, some of the issues that we have are so sensitive that we don't talk to anybody about any of them. Well, Jesus has the authority to deal with those issues. You know, I, I, I think about the world's problems. I mean, as we watch the news, as we turn on the radio or television, I mean, we're hearing over and over again about the growing issues in Syria and Iraq and different parts of the world, the, the, the things that are happening. Uh, a lot of people are quite anxious about this. I mean, we look at this tumultuous world. We look at the chaos, the fighting, the evil. Uh, we don't have a leader that can solve those problems. I don't think anyone in this room believes that we, that we do. I mean, they all promise us that, 
they can do this until they're in charge and then when they fail they blame it on everyone else. The fact is the promise that you can solve problems of this magnitude is really kind of silly anyway, isn't it? These are things that only God can, can solve. And so we think about, I mean, how do we cope with this? How do we cope with the fact that we could be getting back into a, another mess in Iraq? How do, we, how do we cope with this? Well, we cope with this, with this great news that Jesus is in charge. That's how we cope with it. He's in charge. He promises to resolve all this in His time. We, we have His promise in the New Testament. But one of these days, He's going to usher peace into, the, the, into a new world, into the new heavens. And as we think about His track record, has any of His promises failed? Not a single one of them. Isn't it wonderful news that Christ is in charge? Isn't it wonderful news that someone like Jesus is in charge? I mean, anxiety is reduced when we come to see the authority of Jesus, but I want to qualify that for a moment. Lots of people believe that Jesus is in charge with absolute authority, uh, but they believe it at a conceptual level. What do I mean by that? Well, if, if we believe this simply at a conceptual level, that's not going to help us. Uh, so many people aren't helped by what I'm saying here uh, because it's merely entertained in the mind as a concept. Uh, that won't do. I mean, that won't change our hearts. That won't change our outlook on anything. It's important that we come to know the one who's in charge. I mean, that is so very, very important. We must come to know Jesus himself. Uh, if he's just a concept to us, then that, that's, not, that's just not going to do. But as we come to know Him as being wise, we come to know Him as, as powerful as He is, we come to know Him as uh, forgiving and merciful as He is, well then, you know what ends up happening is we want Him to be in charge. That's what actually happens as we come to know Jesus as He is offered in the gospel, as we come to see how wonderful He is, we want Him to be in charge. And as we want Him to be in charge, that's when we begin to surrender our hearts. That's when we begin to surrender our wills uh, to His Lordship. And what happens to the anxiety as, as this happens? Well, the anxiety begins to diminish. I mean, look at our passage. Notice how quickly Jesus silences His enemies. I mean, basically with one question, He silences them. They, they come to him. They're trying to stump him up. And they come to him publicly and they, they raise these questions. You know, what gives you the right to do this? And notice how he silences them with just a simple question. He boxes them right into a corner. But I, I want to point your attention to something else that's, that's easy to miss here that is so lovely about Jesus is he does it gracefully. He not only boxes them in a corner with one question, by boxing them in the corner, he's giving them the, the, the opportunity to come clean with him. All they have to do is say, you know what, John the Baptist, yeah, okay, you got me here. John the Baptist was sent from heaven. Why didn't you believe him? Oh, because, because I'm in need of repentance, because I'm, I'm a sinner, because of unbelief. 
That's all he needed to say. Jesus so graciously dealt with them. It's important for us to see that because sometimes it's we're, it's, we, we, we can see the clash in our hearts. We can see the clash in our hearts in, in these various areas, you know. And we think, well, you know, at this point, I, I'm just going to save face because I can't turn to Jesus. Not at this point. Well, that's what, the, that's what these, these leaders do. They save face. They simply say, we don't know. But Jesus gave them the opportunity to say something else. I, 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 I don't have any ground to stand on. John's clearly a prophet. The people believe it, and I haven't believed it, and I repent of it. That's all they had to say. Would Jesus have welcomed them had they said that? Absolutely. He doesn't cast any of us out. As we begin to know Jesus this way, as we begin to see Jesus this way, you know, he says, we, we'll come to the conclusion and say, you know something, I, I, I think I would kind of like somebody like that being in charge. And as we begin to say that, well, then we begin to surrender more and more parts of our heart to the Lord. As we get to know Him, our surrender of Him is, is largely equal to the measure that we know Him, is it not? The more we know Jesus, the more we're willing to surrender to Jesus. It's because He's that lovely. You know, I, I've counseled folks who have had so much anxiety that they were, you know, I'm thinking of one person in particular who was afraid to leave their house. Almost practically paralyzed by anxiety. Um, do you know what changed their life? The gospel. I basically gave, me and another person gave them a gospel presentation, presenting Jesus as he's offered in the gospel. They came to believe in Jesus, and you know what happened to the anxiety, the paralyzing anxiety? It began to diminish. And actually, in their case, it diminished quite quickly. In other cases, it goes away quite slowly, but nevertheless, it can't stand under the teaching of the gospel. It simply can't. Uh, it falls away, and it falls away every time. It's such great news that Jesus is in charge, isn't it? I mean... Isn't it great news that Jesus is in charge and not a tyrant? Isn't it wonderful news that Christ has come in absolute authority? Here's a, a prayer. I mean, I want to conclude really with one last thought here. I mean, we, we see the clash, don't we? We see the clash in our hearts, you know, that, resent, that, 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 that resistance to, uh, to not want to change. Uh, that resistance to biblical change, we see that clash. Uh, we, we can murmur sometimes, wait a second, not here, not in this area. This is a sensitive area. I'm not giving that up here. And when we argue about that, we have to ask ourselves, do we really care about the, what's true or do we just care about leaving things the way they are? Uh, we see that Jesus is clearly in charge here. Um, let's conclude by asking the Lord to show us uh, these areas of our hearts where this clashing is taking place. Maybe some of us can think of an area in our hearts right now. Maybe we, maybe we don't need to, uh, uh, to ask the Lord, but uh, if we can think of an area in our heart right now that's clashing against the authority of Jesus, well, let's repent of it. Let's not be like the leaders in that temple who want to save face. Let's repent of it. Let's repent of all of our known sin. Um, but here's a prayer that pleases the Lord. Uh, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. 
the reader of the Old Testament recognizes those words from Psalm 139. Oh, we've heard those words before. This is a pleasing prayer. Oh Lord, search me. Oh God, know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts. See if there's any grievous way in me. Uh, we repent of our known sin. We ask the Lord to show us uh, our areas of our hearts that are still challenging His authority. And may our anxious hearts take comfort. May our angry hearts be calmed. And may the bitterness, uh, if there is any in our hearts, may it be sweetened to know uh, that Jesus is in charge and that He is lovely. He's merciful. He is strong. He is powerful. Uh, and He's able to meet us everywhere where it hurts. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for this this great truth that sometimes we, sometimes we, um, we merely entertain it as a concept. And I pray, O oh Lord, that you would work on each one of our hearts, and, uh, including myself, Lord, that we would come to know you uh, in a greater way. And as we come to know you in a greater way, O oh Lord, our surrender of our hearts to you, O oh Lord, would also increase, O oh Lord. Uh, that, Lord, the resistance that we're putting up uh, against uh, your authority, O oh Lord, would be found, that you would make us aware of it, that, Lord, we could come clean. As you gave the opportunity uh, to these leaders that challenged you, you gave them the opportunity, O oh Lord, to come clean, and they chose not to. They chose to, uh, uh, to do away with you. Uh, I pray, O oh Lord, as, as we uh, see the clashing that's taking place in our heart, Lord, that uh, we, we certainly never take that road, but that, oh Lord, we would come clean, that we would confess our sin to you. We'd confess this, uh, this uh, resistance to your authority to you, oh Lord, that we would be changed, that our surrender would be increased, and that, oh Lord, our lives and hearts would be changed uh, for your glory. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.